Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's July 13th, 2020. Welcome to The Quadcast. First up, detect yourself. Is there a Theranos-style screening blood test that can actually detect cancer? DETECT-A was a prospective study published in Science 2020 by Lennon et al. that looked at over 10,000 women between the age of 65 and 70 with no history of cancer who underwent a blood test to screen for various cancers. They were then followed over 12 months The blood test looked for several mutations in circulating tumor DNA and protein biomarkers. 5% of participants had a positive baseline test. After a confirmatory blood test, a multidisciplinary panel viewed the positive result and sent the patient for a full-body FDG PET. Half of the patients who had PET-CT had a suspicious finding and just under half of those ended up having a confirmed tissue diagnosis of cancer. In the end, there were 96 cancers diagnosed during the study period, 27% by blood test and 25% by standard of care screening, and the rest were by other presentations. Lung and ovarian cancers were the most frequently detected. While most breast cancers were detected by routine screening, A higher proportion of lung and colorectal cancers were detected by the blood test than was standard screening. Importantly, nearly one-third of the cancers that currently have no screening test were initially detected by the blood test. The bottom line is, a single blood test may indeed prove a feasible screening program for a multitude of cancers, particularly those without current screening strategies. Up second, dose reduction. The hard truth is that the majority of women in the United States are overweight or obese. Taxanes, which are widely used in breast cancer, are lipophilic drugs. So could differences in drug biodistribution result in different treatment outcomes? Big 298, so named without this add-on study in mind, at least I presume, was a four-armed RTOG9413-esque randomized trial of doxorubicin plus docetaxel versus doxorubicin plus or minus cyclophosphamide, both followed by CMF for breast cancer. Here's a secondary analysis, as published in JCO 2020 by Desmet et al., that looked at survival outcomes based on BMI. Among patients receiving a docetaxel-containing regimen, those who were overweight and obese had inferior disease-free survival and overall survival, as well as a higher rate of distant metastases. These differences were not observed between the lean and obese patients in the non-dosetaxel study arms. In fact, 
BMI as a continuous variable was associated with worse survival outcomes among those receiving docetaxel. Why? Well, for one, heavier patients in the docetaxel arms were more likely to have reduced intensity of chemotherapy. However, survival outcomes remained inferior when that subset of patients was removed from the comparison. The hypothesis here is that highly lipophilic docetaxel gets distributed in peripheral fat, resulting in reduced effect in patients with higher BMI. Perhaps even more concerning for docetaxel's lipophilic sister, paclitaxel. The bottom line is, the efficacy of lipophilic docetaxel appears inferior in overweight and obese women with breast cancer. Up next, positive progress. Check out the newsletter that highlights a publication by Meta in Imaging Technology News 2020 on how and why today's proton treatments aren't your grandparents' proton treatments. One big advancement is miniaturization of the necessary technology by as much as 40%, largely by way of superconducting magnet cyclotrons. While we're still talking about proton machines bigger than a chip, we're well on our way to achieving far-out technology that would allow proton treatments to be delivered in a standard-sized LINAC vault. Other intriguing work includes adaptations of real-time surface cameras or even MRI-guided motion monitoring platforms. The use of the post-treatment PET imaging in gamma cameras to capture exact locations of high-dose deliveries and a resurrection of MLCs for proton beam shaping with novel materials that greatly limit neutron production. The bottom line is, the bar for data indicating a benefit with proton therapy across various cancer sites will be significantly lowered when the feasibility and affordability of such treatments are lowered in tow, with exciting advancements underway in the tech world. Up next, on delay without delay. The convenience of hypofractionation is looking to expand to soft tissue sarcoma. Here's a look back at how 16 patients at a single institution fared with five fractions of preoperative radiation, as published in Advances in Radiation Oncology 2020 by Persai et al. Most patients received a total of 30 gray, with a range of 27.5 to 40 gray. All received surgery within seven days of radiation completion, with the majority going to the OR the day following their last treatment. This means the median time from learning biopsy results to completion of all therapy was just shy of three weeks, a victory in itself. Of primary concern with any pre-op regimen is rate of wound complication, which occurred in 31% of patients with 19% requiring a trip back to the OR. If you compare that to the landmark O'Sullivan trial, those results were 35% and 16% respectively. The bottom line is, hypofractionated pre-op radiation for soft tissue sarcoma appears safe and slashes the time from diagnosis to completion of therapy by nearly three months. 
Up next, finish strong. So how hard should we push patients to complete their total course of neoadjuvant chemoradiation for rectal cancer? This secondary analysis, published in JAMA Oncology 2020 by Diefenhard, looked at the Phase 3 CAO-ARO-AIO-04 trial that reveals that roughly two-thirds of patients complete all-planned neoadjuvant therapy, which was associated with an improved disease-free survival at three years, compared to those who received less than planned even those who received at least 45 gray and greater than 80% of concurrent chemo. Up next, the great equalizer. Check out this recent commentary that highlights how the current pandemic has forced oncologists in high-income countries, probably for the first time, to critically analyze the magnitude of benefit afforded by their various cancer therapies, a practice at which our colleagues in lower income countries are already quite adept, as published in JAMA Oncology 2020 by Guy Awali. Finally, a wide net catches more lung cancer. This past week, the USPSTF officially expanded its target population for annual lung cancer screening CT by reducing the minimum age from 55 to 50 years and reducing the number of pack years from 30 to 20. USPSTF 2020. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.